I love Commencement Chapel. Um, I must admit it's a bit of a dinosaur, a bit of a relic from the past. Uh, it was designed to announce and symbolize the beginning of the academic year. Uh, in the days when the academic rhythm began in September and ended in April, uh, and, and really, in some ways, it's, it should be called Convergence Chapel, I think, uh, because now, I mean, the new Doctor of Ministry class in spiritual formation began in August. Uh, the leadership cohort, new cohort, began in June. All 66 students of the Bachelor of Education came together in July. As I said earlier, a number of you began your seminary career, I know, uh, during the summer semester, as did some of the university students. And I met two people uh, recently who began their educational career uh, with Tyndale online and now have come. So maybe we're going to change the title at some point. I'm sure this will require some, we'll have to go to five committees to get this changed. <laughs> I've learned that much in the four years I've been here. But just let me say this, uh, maybe we should be calling this Convergence chapel, because at this time, all of us are together. So to all of you who have already commenced, we now welcome the new commencing students in the fall of 2014. So now we're all together, and that's good. And I've been given the challenge to challenge you in this Convergence chapel, and this is what I want to say. We live in this increasingly marching toward this kind of world which has this deep sense of entitlement and focus on the individual. I mean, so many things in our world point to that. iPhones, iPhones, iPads, iPods, my documents, my pictures, or on Facebook and Twitter. For you that are into Twitter, that's fine. Go for it. But I mean, I get pictures of what you ate. <laughs> and I wonder, do you really think I care? <laughs> or worse, on Twitter now, with all those few words, um, the thought that popped into somebody's mind that they think the whole world needs to know. And I sometimes will get a, a tweet and I'll go, okay, get over it. My Tyndale. You know, isn't that interesting? At least the new app that we have, Ooh La La, sounds a bit more like a party as opposed to a relentless march toward me being the center of the world. For this address, I did what any self-respecting preparer of a sermon does. I went to Google. <laughs> and I typed in this phrase, it's all about me. Try it. It's fascinating. Uh, it's all about me, nail care and aesthetics. It's a shop somewhere here in Toronto. This was one of my favorite. It's all about me. Center for Complementary Health Care. By the way, in a couple of weeks, they're having a retreat you might be interested in. 
the No Ego Retreat, which was interesting because as you read its description, it sounded very egotistical, but I, I didn't want to say, I'm not making this up. You might want to try it out. I found some interesting song titles, went to them, one by Maya. Uh, the lyrics, I can't even state here in chapel, but I remember conversations like it in the football locker room when I was an athlete. Uh, last year, Australia went crazy. I don't know if you knew this. It had nothing to do with the summer cricket activities or a visit from the Queen. This time, the frenzy was this newly released can of Coke. A local agency had dreamed up a way of getting the younger generation to kind of buy Coke again because it was in decline. <clears throat> During the first stage of the campaign strategy, 150 different kinds of Coca-Cola cans were released, each with a different name on it, using the most popular names in Australia, Jack, William, Isabella, and Chloe. Any Chloes here? Isabella? No? Okay. That's only in Australia. As well as the usual Johns, Steve, Mary, and I thought this was great, Matilda. Walsing Matilda, right? Each name was written boldly on the can in a kind of iconic Coke font. And as soon as the word got out, people headed straight for the soft drink shelves to buy them up. The second stage was involved 18 shopping centers in Australia where you could go over to it and you get your name personally printed on the Coke can. And for days, people waited for hours just to have their own names printed on the can. It shows how things have changed. There was a time in marketing where you tried to find the USP, the unique selling proposition. Uh, then in the 1980s, it shifted to ESP, Emotional Selling Proposition. Now, it's about MSP, the Me Selling Proposition. This is a generation, we are a society that believes it's all about us. And we're convinced about it. Dr. Jean Twing, the psychology professor at the San Diego State University, she used these test results that had been used in decades before and compared them to her test results on personality around the first, in the first decade of the 21st century. And it caused her to write a book called Generation Me. It's a fascinating book and I would really recommend you look at it. Uh, she says in the study that she found these stark observations. We are more tolerant, we are more confident, we are over, more open-minded, we are more ambitious, but we are more cynical, we are more depressed, we are more lonely, and we are more anxious. She said we live in a society, now listen to this, that is not simply self-centered, but we now live in a society that has become utterly self-referential about itself. And much of her work, unfortunately, focuses on the generation <laughs> that is now part of the university and the seminary. But I want to challenge that one part of that book. You see, because I don't think youth make cultures that they live in. 
I don't think there is such a thing as a youth culture. The previous generations make the culture. And youth are just the ones that have to learn to navigate and negotiate the worlds that they've, begin and begin, that they've been given. And they have to learn how to take it over and make it theirs. And we call that youth culture. But really, we've kind of forced them into those worlds. Youth culture is actually a dynamic engagement by a generation in order to make sense and make a way in the world that they have been placed in. They didn't become self-referential by choice or by chance. It was modeled for them. And it was affirmed in the way that we lived. I don't have time to unpack this. I'm sure we'll have a great discussion about this. But go with me in this discussion. Because the amazing story that was read out of Genesis today speaks to this perspective. I will leave the Old Testament scholars of which we have a fine contingent to reflect on these words and the narratives of the primeval history of the first 11 chapters of Genesis. It's all yours. But let me say in this moment, as we begin this semester, and as we join with all the others who have already begun in the beginning was God. John picks this up and says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. It all pivots here. At this moment and at this time, you have come to a university and you have come to this seminary, and you will reflect, you will discuss, you will write papers, and you'll even make presentations, guaranteed. If you're in university, you will do all of those things that most university students do, perhaps with some exceptions, however, maybe not. This is the Christian university after all. But at its heart and at its center is a beginning point, our center core belief that knowledge is from God. You have come here, and frankly, you should be very clear that in the beginning was God. When I first came to Tyndale, often I was quoted Anselm's great comment about learning, faith-seeking understanding. I always wanted to challenge it just slightly. Perhaps it might be good to remember that understanding needs to seek God, that understanding needs to see God as well. In fact, if you believe Genesis in the beginning was God. In some places, faculty might think it all begins with them. And there is a semblance of truth to that. Even Tyndale provides a place where scholars can practice their craft, where they can come together, they can teach, they can research, they can reflect. But Tyndale in this context doesn't ultimately exist for our faculty. Remember, in the beginning was God. You as students might think that this place exists for you. <laughs> After all, you paid the tuition required of a university and a seminary that receives no government funding. I mean, what would a university be like if it didn't have students? And there's some truth to that. But Tyndale, in this context, doesn't ultimately exist for you either. Remember, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, 
Staff, interestingly enough, are much more aware that this place does not exist for them. It's often symbolized in many ways, unfortunately. For some of them, it may be a job. You will find, though, that is, uh, they actually believe that they are here and exist to help guide the infrastructure and strengthen the students' and faculty's ability to fulfill their tax commission. And the thing that will fascinate you about the staff that you, hear, you meet here is that many of them have a sense of call to this place. Remember, in the beginning was God. My point is simple this morning. We live in a world in which we have rewritten the Genesis account. And our holy scriptures now read, in the beginning was me. I was reading the latest Christianity Today, and I was reminded of what Charles Taylor talks about in his book, A Secular Age. He wrote that in the gradual emergence of secularity and modernity, perspective was lost. They, things just became simply events, and time was linear, and we lost what he calls higher times. And when he said we lost a sense of higher times, we cut ourselves off from our past, we became out of touch with any hope for our future, and we got lost in our little worlds of me and the present. Start with me, and all you get is me. Our job is to help you to earn your degree and as you study, stretch yourself intellectually in philosophy and the classics of history and English, as you study psychology and business and social work, as you learn skills and teaching or seek to move into the workplace, as you study for professional ministry or for counseling or spiritual formation, it is also to help you discover the imagination that can only come when you are not the center of the world. Remember, in the beginning was God. A number of years ago in a leadership role I previously held uh, with a development agency and a mission organization. I don't know if anybody's here from Samaritan's Purse, so I'll, I'll, I'm going to go anyway, but let's, let's go with this. Uh, we made a decision uh, to ask people in our constituency to think more deeply about development and the global south, uh, to think more clearly about the ways that we respond to the needs around our world. And, and a colleague of mine wrote an article called Thinking Outside the Box, asking people to reflect on better ways in which we could think about development. It wasn't that there was anything wrong with the Christmas boxes. I always have to say this when I use this illustration. I mean, it was a great entry-level connection for people in poverty around the world. It was great. We simply thought that if they'd been doing it and our churches had been doing it for 10 years, it might be time to think a little deeper. Oh, boy, was I wrong. Uh, the reaction was way out of proportion to the article. Uh, even now, some of you are asking the question, what's wrong with the boxes? Well, what kind of a killjoy was Nelson, anyway? Others phoned me and threatened me for taking on Billy Graham's son. 
please go to the festival this weekend and support him. <laughs> I received phone calls and emails. Some people stopped supporting us because I had attacked Billy's son. They made it, we were a little organization, they were a big organization, they, they made us sound like we were the bullies. And one day during this time, someone I knew phoned me and, and went at me. Do you know, she said, what it is like for me to take my children and to choose things for the box? Do you know how good it feels? I listened as she starts as she just ripped into me. And finally, I just said to her this, I do get it. I get that it's a wonderful experience. But have you ever thought that it isn't about you? There was a great pause on the phone. You see, it's all about perspective. I said, have you ever thought it's just not about you. I think that's what happens when you get it right. When you learn that God is at the center. That God is in the beginning. And then I'm able both to live a life and have perspective on it. Because you know in the beginning was God. And that's my challenge for you today at this commencement convergence service, wherever you are in the educational journey. Remember this. In the beginning was God. It makes all the difference. Amen. Let's pray with a sense of wonder of an education and a mind that you have given each of us and a soul and a heart that longs for you. Give us perspective. Stand in our center and at our beginning and make us yours. Amen.